Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Where I am now, even if I hear things or understand it logically, there's a big gap between that and then being able to do it. And right now I'm stuck on maybe stay silent, listen to what you have to say and what there is to learn, but be on the do side um, and just do it rather than try to understand. Yeah, I... I think that is a phase you, everyone has to go through, but if you remember, it took you many years to reach that, right? And, um, and it is a skill, really. Listening is a skill. And the more skilled you are at listening, the more skilled you are at self-displacement or release and in that sense listening by which we mean truly hearing right and by which we mean not filtering through our ego or our fears our pride or our ignorance right listening therefore is is a state of awakening and it is one of the primary means that spiritual traditions across the globe, across history. It's one of the primary means of instruction that is used to assist the novice with their own path. So if you look at ascetic traditions across time, you're always going to see some sort of directive or expectation that the novice practices listening. Um, Again, this is because of its intimacy to awakening. Somebody from the outside, as a new student would be, would hear such things and, uh, of course, listening or hearing it through a modern discourse Um, would hear a kind of stifling or a kind of power game. Um, And they imagine that their duty is uh, is a righteous one to overthrow the, the prescription or the directive for listening. Um, In some ways, when we do that, we actually usurp our own training, modernize it, so to speak, but take away one of the primary, te- primary technologies that human beings have used time and time again, which is silence and listening. Um, so if you remember when you started, it, it wasn't so easy, right? Things had to make sense. Um, or so we believe, right? 
we believe that it has to make sense uh, and therefore if it makes sense then we'll do it and then the presumption is that I must filter it through my current state of being or my current way of thinking um, but the error in logic there is that one's current way of being or one's current way of thinking is one objectively true or valid but two and probably more importantly can actually lead me to the state of awakening which I'm seeking modern practitioners do not understand this um, as a beginner if the art makes sense to you it really presents no alternative to your current way of being and as such it really offers no path of liberation from what is currently ailing us at that current level of being this is how a practitioner kind of uh, you know how we say you're you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater when I, when I hear such things or think about such things um, you're really seeing uh, the ego's will to power uh, you're seeing the threat reaction the threat reactivity to anything that is challenging the status quo when we come in the dojo when we enter the path the status quo is the unawakened state is itself the fear threat reactivity state of being it is itself a life of suffering of experiencing suffering and of causing suffering that's why we enter the path that's why the path is an alternative to that but because we think and we see and we hear and we speak with that mind the traditional systems the traditional ascetic paths has always suspended that mind there's a, there's a practical problem and it is this the sick mind cannot heal itself you cannot use the sick mind to heal the sick mind so ascetic practices the world over and history over has always done various techniques where speaking thinking uh, seeing hearing is like just take a break get some distance um, but that's very difficult it's very difficult I think for two reasons is one um, the modern mind is just so captured in ways that I would say historically have not been the case I think the mind has always been captured hence these ascetic traditions but the level at which it is captured and the level at which it can remain captured is are these are levels never before seen in human history and two kind of relatedly is people do not know any longer these ascetic technologies they do not know how to use them they do not know 
how to uh, cultivate themselves, let alone others, through them. And for this reason, uh, the usurpation of the technology, of the path itself, is almost guaranteed. Um, but when I, when I see the usurpation in terms of our art, in terms of jujitsu and its, its mark or its metric of non-contestation, you see, because non-contestation is also a metric of the awakened mind. But when we, so when we look at our art through the metric of non-contestation, what you see is the unawakened practitioner will always push on what is pushing on them. And through ignorance, they do not realize that it is through their pushing that the push they are experiencing is manifested. They do not realize how they manifested that reality. They experience that push as if they did not generate it itself. And so the freedom or the liberation from that reality is kept beyond their means. It's only possible environmentally, externally to themselves. This is how, on the one hand, you'll see Aikido people uh, deviating all over or even just overpowering. Those are from the same unawakened state, which is the state of ignorance, which is that you generated the push. You are responsible for that push. So if you take this idea that that push that experience of the push, the manifestation of that push, is in some way related to my unawakened state of being, which we hear describe as, I'm in a reactive state. I am experiencing the world as threat. I'm experiencing the world through my fear. And in this reactionary state, I try to overpower what I feel is threatening to me. If we, if we take that, and we apply it to the initial resistance that a modern person might have against the traditional ascetic practice of listen. They experience the prescription for listening or the directive for listening or the technology for listening as a threat, you see. It's one they have to seek to overpower. And they enter into a kind of power struggle with whomever they believe is the uttering or the, 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 the person who utters the prescription. In this case, and often, it'll be your senpai or your dojo cho or the abbot. Or maybe even grander, the, the tradition itself, its zen it's Buddhism, it's all forms of spirituality. You see, it, it, depending on the ego that is experiencing this, the thing or the person to be contested can be quite small or quite large. But the point here is that they are experiencing the technology as a point of contention. And in the same way that Uka's energy is experienced as a push or as a threat, this technology for listening is experienced as some sort of stressor, some sort of threat, 
and therefore something that should be contested with or against. This is common in the beginner because the beginner marks a kind of unawakened state of being. That's why they're a beginner. That's why they come onto the path. But in the same way that modern Aikido is either stuck between two poles where they don't have uke push, you see, and therefore there's no need to reconcile the experience of being pushed. They kind of take the problem off the table, do you see? Or alternatively, you get your big man Aikido, where you just overpower the person. In either case, these, are, these stem from a state of ignorance and stem from the fear, threat, reaction, reactionary way of being. So in the same way that the modern Aikidoka does that, the same way the modern Aikidoka Aikidoka comes to these directions for listening um, and does not see how they themselves in their fear, threat, egocentrism, in the reactivity that comes from such a state of being, they do not see that this should not be a threat or a push, but has to be because of the delusion in which they are abiding. After, a, after some time, um, well, let's say this. Let's not take our school, for example. But oftentimes, the technology might be used in a modern setting. But let's say the sensei uh, does not understand the technology. As I said, it's very, very common. It's very common they do not understand the technology. It was just something that they had to do. And maybe it was something their teacher just had to do. And the technology is not really a technology, but more of a cultural tenet, meaning there's no practicality to it. There's no desired end achieved through it. It's just something we do, do you see? It's just a cultural thing. You get a teacher like that, and you go a few generations away from a teacher who did understand how the technology functioned, and now you have that student, that modern student come in, and they are in the fear, threat, reactivity state of being, and they experience the, this cultural prescription as a threat, then that teacher experiences it as a threat as well. Do you see? And this would be like the uke pushes, the nage pushes, and then the uke pushes more. Do you see? And each one is trying to overpower each other. And that can lead to a kind of convincing in the deshi that they were right all along. Do you see? I mean, how could they be wrong? It would be, as I said, in terms of your body art, if uke is pushing and nage pushes, and then uke pushes more, and then you have to push more to overpower them, do you see? And this is how suffering continues to keep us on the karmic wheel. It just keeps feeding itself. But in a true practice, you're to reconcile that fear and threat that we are experiencing by releasing the self. And in that way, the so-called contention just disappears. 
as the self is released to the void, the contention itself disappears and only void exists. This is what you feel when you've often commented on it. When you come to push and there's nothing there for you to push on. But at any moment, you could feel, I can't push this even if I wanted to. Right? That kind of... Uh, In, in the Chinese internal arts, they, they talk about this, almost like a force field kind of thing, but it's not good to think of it in terms of that. But here we call it kokyu. There's an integrity to the posture and to the positioning, but it is not used to overpower the uke. It's a seed in the center or at the source of the void. So let's say you have the new student, they come into the dojo, they hear about and are advised to follow the prescription of listening, and they're going to contest it. It's going to be threatening to them. They're going to talk about cult leaders. They're going to talk about hierarchies. They're going to talk about all the things that modern society has told them to be wary of, right? Um, because they don't understand the practical end of it. So they're going to push back. Well, the good teacher will just void. You can't push on the good teacher, do you see? After a while, the deshi learns, I'm not learning, do you see? And that, so it's important, I think, as, as much as you think you're stuck there right now or you use some expression like that, that that's where you're at, it's important to note that that's not where you started. And it was not so easy for you to listen. It's not easy, right? Because it is the awakened state. It's just important to remember as an awakened state, it is a skill, and as a skill, it is perishable. So it is conditional to our ability to follow the four disciplines, remember? If, we're, if we don't have those ascetic elements to our overall practice, it becomes very difficult to act in an enlightened way. And it is more easy, and in some ways more obvious, so to speak, to act uh, with the fear-threat cycle and to push on what is pushing on us and to feel pushed. Do you see? That's the thing. Um... But with a little time and with your teacher voiding in light of your contestation, uh, faith develops in the deshi, almost, almost without them knowing it, do you see? They start to realize maybe, I don't have anything to lose because actually nothing's really being taken from me, right? Um, they also realize... Uh, Every time I push, I, nothing comes back at me. And I'm the only one that loses from pushing, which is just Aikido, right? Um, and then you also gain the positive things, right? You'll go, oh, I wasn't in my own way today, and today I was able to do this, right? You, it starts to get reinforced by the positive achievements. Um, and through this, through this kind of suspension of mind, uh, this holding of doubt, 
and these positive uh, insights, faith is cultivated. And faith is a huge part of the ascetic practice and of Aikido too, as an ascetic practice. Of course, if you reduce what Aikido is, which again, uh, you see in modern Aikido, they, they reduce it. Um, they use the same words, um, so it's hard for them to realize that it's a reduction. Um, but if you look deeper, you can see it has been reduced. Okay, and so several of the ways that it is it has been reduced, you know, we we are very adamant about maintaining. Right, we have the spontaneous component. Um, we have the martial component. We have the internal aspect component, and we have the spiritual maturity and the emotional intelligence component. We don't do the techniques for the sake of techniques. We don't do the techniques for the sake of rank, for the sake of paper, certificates. Um, we don't do the techniques for the sake of art, right? We don't, it's not an art for art's sake. Um, and if you remove yourself from that modern trend, then something like listening or not listening is always going to be considered in the capacity, in terms of the capacity to listen and or the incapacity to listen, you see. It's a window, as I say, a metric into your skill of awakening, right? So you really can't expect it from the beginner, as, as, we, as we didn't really for you. We just let the natural process work itself. You're going to push. The teacher's going to avoid. You're going to develop faith through those means, and then you're here. But it is important to remember these skills are all perishable. Even faith is a skill, and faith is a perishable skill, and it is entirely dependent upon your capacity through your discipline to uphold and to continually improve upon your four disciplines, okay? But it, it's important, and it could just be today. Today, you're a great listener, right? <laughs> Tomorrow, you won't be, right? And the other thing to remember is as the training is about the skill of awakening, then the training itself must advance, okay? Because we have beginner skill and we have advanced skill, do you see? And um, the training, in order for it to advance, must increase your likelihood to contest. Do you, do you understand that? It, 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 anyone cannot contest, for example, like modern Aikido. It's easy not to push back on the uke who doesn't push on you at all. You see, who has no kind of asocial penetration of, or territoriality into their attack. Do you see? Uh, no violence to it. Do you get it? It's easy to remain nonviolent in the face of nonviolence. It's so easy that in our school, we don't count that. 
Do you, do you understand? Um, it's like it's very, it's very easy, you see, to act lovingly on your honeymoon. Do you get it? It's like it doesn't really count as love in our book, okay? Um, so we gradually increase the violence on the mat, do you see? Because as the violence increases, it calls upon more of our awakened skill to not participate in it, do you see? But without also offering us the solution of retreating or running away, do you see? Because that too is not the, al the alchemical process by which we measure awakening. So the, the uke comes flying in, and if I start running all around the mat, it is true I did not contest. Do you see? But I did not alchemically change that reality. I just ran from it. And in some ways, that is still the fear, threat, reactionary way of being. What we do instead is in the midst of this violence, it's not touching me. I'm not afraid of it. I don't try to overpower it. But I can only do that in the midst of the violence. I can only be the peaceful warrior in the midst of violence. So as awakening is a skill, and these are the metrics by which we measure that skill, the violence must increase. This is the way of the warrior. So right now, where you're at, where we've gotten at, and as we already said, there is a kind of progression element to your training, right? In the beginning, you weren't ready for this. I mean, now you are. Well, that's where we are now. Now we need to see if you can keep this skill as the propensity to resist is increased by the training conditions, okay? Again, it's going to be progression-based. It's always held right at your limit, do you see? It's all, the training is always at your limit. It can't be well within your limit because then the skill perishes. But it can't be over your limit where your chance of failure is just too great and your chance of success is too little, okay? But the skilled teacher has a way of having it within your reach but making it feel like it is beyond your reach, do you see? Of course, somebody who starts at the beginning or looks as an outsider who hasn't done the steps that you have done will look at such training and go, oh my God, oh, terrifying, right? Um, but if we cut to the chase, for example, you have a professional end in mind, right? Again, you see, we don't do Aikido for Aikido's sake. We don't do Aikido for art's sake. There's a professional end, right? And your professional end, when, when the 
when the shit hits the fan, do you understand? In professionally, nothing we do on this mat is extreme. Okay. You will be facing life and death in its purity. If you don't have such a professional end, and your, your, your so-called extreme comes early. Do you know what I mean? It might come early on day one. Oh, here you're expected to listen. Right? Oh my God, this is extreme. This is extreme. I want to come in the dojo as a new person and tell you how to do this art. You see, in reality, that's the extreme position, right? Because it is the furthest away from the skill of awakening being cultivated. It's not, not, that's not even fair. It's antithetical, right? Which is what we mean ultimately or intuitively by the extreme. It's like by this means, not only is it, it's not necessary. Well, nothing is more unnecessary than what is antithetical to the end, do you see? So the most extreme view is to come into the dojo and start deciding what Aikido is and is not and how it should be taught and how, and how it should not be taught. That is an extreme view. But not if the art is just about techniques, do you see? But if you have a practical end such as yours, Right? Nothing, as, nothing we do here is going to be extreme. But it will feel that way as your skill is being cultivated. Because the skilled teacher knows your limits, knows where you're at, but you don't yet. Do you see? You don't yet. So you experience it as, I can't do this, right? But it's just a repetition of the process through the, 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 the things that you end up achieving by surrendering, um, the risk you do, in essence, as more faith is cultivated, you see, by such means, then your other skills improve. Okay? So my teacher was always, um, he was not a religious man by any means, um, and I was quite surprised when early on he told me that there is no Aikido without faith. Okay. And I've kind of come full circle on it now. Okay. And, but you have to understand faith in this way. You see, faith is getting out of your own way. Okay. So, it goes up and up and up. And you can kind of see this too if you look at your senpai. They are doing things that I'm sure you go, please don't do that on me. You know what I mean? At certain, certain days, certain, um, certain drills we're doing, right? Do you see? So you, you're, you're observing that there is a progression base, a kind of crawl, walk, run pedagogy to how you're being taught, okay? But what runs throughout this pedagogy is this non-contestation because it is one of the metrics. And whether, if you contest, then the teacher will void and we just move on, okay? So good, 
you're there. I, I have observed it more. You have much more faith. Um, you're more ready to listen. Um, you're more skilled at listening. But just remember that the next week it'll come up again and you will have the same challenge again, right? Um, and I think this ties us into to what you were talking about um, when you were commenting on the chapter from uh, Suzuki Roshi's book about the pure practice, do you see? Um, because that progression that I mentioned to you will never end until you develop the pure practice, do you see? And so in a way, the progression itself or the sensation of training being progressive is itself a kind of contestation, a kind of resistance to the training. Um, when I just have a pure practice, I don't experience the training in a linear way or progressively or, or this notion of crawl, walk, run. There is just my practice. And so as we say, it's like breathing. Okay? Your practice should become as simple and as pure and as non-intellectual as our breathing is. Okay? Um, even if you make these progressive steps and you develop some skill from the point of view of the way, experiencing those progressions is evident that the self has not actually been released. Okay? And so that's why you'll have the ups and downs of training. And you shouldn't have ups and downs of training. There's just training. There's just the skill of releasing. The second you feel a push, you release a void and the push is gone. And that happens at every level, not just in your jujitsu architectures, but every level of the training, your schedule, the four disciplines, things people said, the way you think, everything is about sensing the contestation and then deconstructing it through self-release and manifesting void. That is what you do. Um, when you look at your, your senpai, it's not really that, as I described it earlier, especially a couple of your senpai, they're just in that state. They don't experience that thing that you saw as a higher level. They don't experience it as a higher level. Do you see? It's the same level. It's the same beginner level because structurally it's the same components. It's fear, it's threat, it's reactivity, it's self-attachment. And there's only one solution, and that is self-release. Okay? And so that's ultimately where you want to get. But in some ways, this, this has always been a conundrum in Zen because... Um, you even had two splits historically in, in Zen history, whether you had a school that said there's sudden enlightenment or whether you said there's gradual enlightenment, you see. So from this second point of view, the person who, who realizes there's just the skill of releasing, it's, it's a sudden thing. It's kind of done one, once and for all. You have the skill, you know how to use it, no matter what. 
you see. And then you had this other school where it's all like, well, we increase the uh, training conditions wherein you can hone more the skill of releasing, you see. And so you get this kind of notion of, of gradual and immediate. Um, but this dichotomy is a false one, okay? It's both. There's a gradual component and there's an immediate component. All right. Um, and when you get the immediate skill, you realize, ah, man, I was wasting my time. But at the same time, you realize I couldn't have done it other w another way. Couldn't have been done another way. Okay. But try to remember that as, you, as you're going on and on. Okay. Um, and try to remember that we do not. We have a practical end, not art for art's sake, not for certificate's sake, not for rank's sake, um, and even not just because you have a practical end to your training in terms of your career, okay? Um, the practical end is that skill in awakening, that skill in self-release. Uh, and that is the seed of your martial viability, but also just your life, okay? Your life. To live in a reactionary state, to live where everything cycles through your fear, and is decided upon as either a threat, as something you cannot overpower, or is not a threat because it is something you can overpower. This is not a life. This is hell. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S E N. S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.